Hey, this is Howard Jacobson, and I'm thrilled to be joined on the phone today by John Pierre. And if you haven't heard about him, uh, at the end of this call, you will be wondering why, because he is doing amazing work in the world. And John Pierre, I'm so happy to uh, have you as a guest. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, let's let's start with a little bit about your your background. So did you grow up healthy, eating plant-based, uh, or was there some sort of a journey that, that you took to come to uh, to where you are now? I actually started uh, plant-based eating in high school, so that was actually about 30 years ago, and um, I did it for ethical reasons, so for me it was a, an ethical and environmental choice, and I just didn't want to harm anything and do as little damage in the world as I could. So following a you know a pure vegan diet was and, and lifestyle was the simple choice, and though it was plant based, we use that term now. Back then we called it vegetarian or vegan, where it was really without any animal products at all. And I think there it's important to know that there's a difference really between somebody who calls themselves plant based and vegan, because plant based generally denotes that you're eating you know a plant based diet, but it's generally most people follow it for health reasons. Whereas when you call yourself vegan, it's more of a uh, lifestyle, and it's for the animals, it's for yourself, it's for the environment. So my my choice was was for the animals and for the environment, and, and also for myself. So the the two oral reports that I did in high school were women's rights and animal rights. So way back then, that I was really involved in all this stuff. So basically, I was yeah 30 years ago, and it's the same stuff that I'm doing today. So where where did you sort of stumble upon these two um, populations that you know today are still marginalized? You know how how did you as a, as a high school student, I guess in the eighties, um, you know wake wake up to to two groups? Uh, you know you're, you're not you're not a member of either group. What 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 happened to uh, to, to well, spark your interest? I was always sensitive and very caring, and I just basically always wanted to lend my hand where there wasn't enough help. And so I just didn't see a lot of work being done in the women's movement the way that I wanted it to be done, and I definitely didn't see enough information, especially getting out to kids that were my age in high school, about vegetarianism or veganism. Back then, they didn't have Internet, so I was just getting all the different publications from all these animal rights groups and trying to go to as many meetings as I could where most of my friends were, you know, more or less playing sports or, you know, playing musical instruments or whatever. I was more involved in in those types of choices. And then I would, you know, basically get involved in women's organizations, the National Organization of Women and feminist organizations just to try to learn more at a young age. So it was just, to me, it was just something that just made sense. You were just trying to do the best you could to make the world a better place. And I just wanted to use my, my talents or my skills where, they, where there wasn't enough help in the world. And then actually then my specialty became in geriatrics, which was another population. So then I basically start, you know, I started in the geriatric field over 20 years ago, and I was the first person to really create brain-building programs for seniors utilizing a plant-based diet and then nutraceuticals, nutrients for the brain, and then utilizing modalities like aromatherapy and then certain physical exercises that would stimulate cognitive functioning. Mm. So you're, you're, you're known now, sort of your, your public face, the sort of tra- trainer to the stars. Um, how, how did you get into personal training and into training people who are, you know, famous, Hollywood folks? Well, I mean, I, 
I was known in, in obviously in the, the vegan community for a long time, and I was also known in, in the fitness community, which was really separate for a long time. You know, I had created boot camps before they were really even popular as boot camps. And then I had trained clients one-on-one all the time. And just when I when I went to Los Angeles to do some work, just the word got out that I was there. And then I was just getting lots of different calls from people that wanted me to work with them. And one thing led to another. And that's kind of how that took off. I mean, I think when I started training Ellen DeGeneres, and then I also was training her staff, more and more information got out. And then on Ellen's website, she had put some videos of me. Um, training her staff, and then they did some Q&A things. So then it really got more and more popular that way also. Hmm. So in, in, in talking to those folks uh, who really helped to promote you and your, uh, your work and your message, what did they say was the differentiator? I mean, there's so many fitness people. There's so many nutrition people. What did, what did they see in you that was, that was different, that was either – you know, more motivating or uh, made it easier for them to to uh, to adopt these behaviors and lifestyles? Well, yeah, that's a great question. A lot of people always wonder that. And, and really, my approach from fitness is, I think, well, especially back then, it was very unique because it was all based on functional fitness. You know, I was always telling my clients that it's great that you're walking on a treadmill or you're doing weight training, but how often have you moved laterally? How often have you moved backwards? How often throughout the day are you moving? In other words, if you just do a workout for one hour a day, what are you doing the 23 hours of the day? And so that was one thing they liked. I did a lot of coordination and skill development, and I made my workouts with them really fun. So we did a lot of different things that were fun and unique. And I would use a lot of different tools that I actually used in the geriatric community, like industrial strength bubble machines, balloons, you know, different things that add an element of fun to their workouts, but it was still very taxing. Um, because if you if you understand physiology and anatomy and you understand movement, you can be, basically make all movements progressively harder if you need to. And then from a nutritional standpoint, most of the people were very interested in my background in geriatrics, which was, you know, enhancing cognitive functioning and preventing premature aging. So a lot of the Hollywood people were interested in that. And then, of course, um, a good majority of the celebrities that I trained uh, were already vegetarian and moving toward vegan, so they were definitely interested in what I had to offer there. Great, great. So let's 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 talk a little bit about your philosophy of getting people to move from point A to point B. So I understand you you know you you have a really strong ethical basis in in uh, grounded in veganism, um, and yet you don't come across in your book or in your work as as preachy to folks to, to you know to suddenly um, adopt a vegan lifestyle instantly you seem to have a you know a lot of understanding or compassion can you talk a little bit about how you think about transitioning off of the uh, a processed from processville as you say to something better mm-hmm. Sure. Well, everyone's on their own journey, so I don't make a judgment when clients come to me. My goal is basically just to be an educator and provide information, and then you decide what you want to do with the information I provide. So there's a lot of people that have a vested interest or they want you to fit into their mold, but that would be like the same thing as if I wore a size men's nine shoe and I was trying to force you as a man who wore a size 11 into my shoe. It doesn't fit for you. So I want my clients to find out what works for them and what fits for them. But before that happens, they need to be educated. They need to understand the dangers of processed foods or animal products, and they have to understand the environmental effects that are occurring with their diet or if they're using products that are tested on animals. 
and probably 90% of the clients that I've worked with have no clue any of those things were, were existing. I mean, my clients had no clue that the products they were using to put on their face or clean their house was once tested on a mouse or a rabbit. And once I educate them and give them that information, it's a very easy transition for them to say, oh, I don't want to contribute to that anymore. So I think it's all about education. It's not about forcing people. Because when you try to force somebody to do something, it's not going to work anyhow. And I don't think ethically it's right. In other words, I would never try to coerce somebody or trick somebody into following a way of living that I thought was right for me and might not be right for them. Hmm. So I think that the first the first step is all about education. And when I introduce people to nutrition, the first thing that I talk about is plant-based nutrition. I don't talk about veganism because, again, there's a distinction there. The plant-based eating is just for them. So, in other words, when they come to me, I'm giving them information about nutrition that is specifically just for their body and their mind. That's it. I don't really talk about the environment at first, and I don't talk about humanity or the animals because most people are concerned when they come to me really about their own well-being. And, you know, most people, unfortunately, and I don't mean to say this to be negative, but we live in a society that's all me, 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 and we're raised that way, you know, to accumulate as much as we can, to get ahead, to always win, and if you're not first place, you're nothing. And so it's ingrained in us from birth to have that attitude. So, unfortunately, most people come at, you know, from a nutritional standpoint, is how is it going to help me? So I just deliver that information to them on how this program will help them, and then eventually, as they kind of get healthier and they understand more information, then they make the transition naturally to veganism. Mm. Yeah, it's, you know, it occurs to me that there's, wherever you are, you can see the top of, of one particular summit and you think that's as high as you want to go. And right. once you reach that, you realize, oh, this was a foothill. But if you tell someone, <laughs> if you try to get someone to climb the, the big mountain when they're still, you know, they haven't even reached base camp, uh, right. You're going to get a lot of resistance. And I think we need to be compassionate with people as, as a lot of vegans are very, you know, adamant about their beliefs and, and rightfully so because they're trying to end suffering and cruelty to animals. But some of them get a little bit aggressive with people and they get very adamant and they, they have to realize that when they started out as a vegan, this was all new to them. You know, they don't, they weren't most of, most of the people that I know weren't born vegans. So we all were where our, you know, the people we're trying to educate were at one time. So, you know, we, we have to be compassionate to them, and, and, and it's a scary to a lot of people because they've heard a lot of propaganda. You know, where are they going to get their calcium? Where are they going to get their protein? Is this going to be an expensive way of living? Is it going to be complicated? We all started out with those questions. So you have to be sensitive and understand uh, understanding to people that they have those they have those fears. Right. So what, you know, one, one thing that strikes me is you talk about, you know, the me, me, me society and everyone's trying to gain for for ourselves – and the connection between that and so many of our self-destructive behaviors. You know, you write in your book, The Pillars of Health, um, that many people are trying to reduce anxiety and confusion and anesthetize emotions because of a lost spiritual connection to the earth, earth each other, and ultimately themselves. You think that the, the me, me, me orientation is actually the driver of some of the behaviors that do the, the most damage to me, me, me? Absolutely. And, you know, we live in this society, too, where we don't have any more introspection because we're either on our iPhone or on the computer or watching movies or playing video games. And it's not the same as we when we go back before this technology where we played board games, we talked with our family, we did more meditation, we had reflective time. We don't have that anymore, especially the kids today. 
And so that's one of the reasons, again, it's more of a me because everything's about me and you never get to understand ever, anything about yourself. And then people have all these problems because they get into relationships just to fulfill their own needs. They're not really worried about the person they're with. And then that turns into a disaster and then they're divorced or they're broken up. And then what do they do? Then they, or they, they go toward alcohol, they go to drugs, or they go to processed foods to help medicate themselves. So people are constantly medicating themselves with processed foods, and they think it's okay because they're not calling it a drug. But in reality, it is. Right. So it's one big vicious circle. Right. So when, when you work with someone who is trying to get off processed foods, so one, one of the big debates that I hear and participate in to some extent in the, in the plant-based slash vegan community is about oil. And you write, mm -hmm. you know, very clearly that it's an extremely unnatural food. Yet there's a lot of uh, of talk in the vegan community about people who are sort of hyper pure, and that that telling people not to have their oil or their salt or their sugar is actually keeping people from succeeding. What, what's, what's absolutely? Your, what's your take on all that? Well, you know, I teach with Chef AJ. Uh, all the time throughout the country. And we teach a class, SOS-free, salt-free, oil-free, sugar-free. And, you know, we have a our, our website is eatunprocessed.com. And it's all about getting away from sugar, oil, and salt. But where I differentiate between most of the practitioners who do teach that is that I'm not adamant about that. In other words, if I work with a new client, say if somebody's a 300-pound construction worker, and the first time I do a session with them, I don't tell that construction worker who's been eating processed foods and drinking alcohol and smoking his whole life, that you can't have any alcohol, you can't have any salt, you can't have any sugar, any of that stuff. That's just way too extreme. I mean, maybe eventually that's what they'll get to. It's a transition. But for right now, it's just adding more plant matter, whole foods into their diet. That's my goal. So I'm not really worried about it. When I teach with Chef AJ, we're working with a lot of food addicts. So they're no different than alcoholics. You wouldn't say to an alcoholic, you can have a tablespoon of vodka. You'll be okay. It's same thing with a food addict. When you're dealing with a food addict and you give them a little salt or a little oil, that sets them off. And then it's a downward spiral from there. So for a certain por portion of the population, you need to be 100%. But for a good majority of the population, there could be a little lax there. Gotcha. So there, there's, you know, the, in your book, The Pillars of Health, you talk about lots of things that are, some of which are, uh, you know, pretty mainstream, you know, move, uh, move well, eat well, uh, although your take on them is, uh, is, is certainly unique in many ways. You also talk about um, sleep, about brain exercises, about um, t taking your feet off and touching the earth, uh, taking your shoes off so your feet can touch the earth. Um, but I'd, lo I'd love to, you know, I think people should, should read all this. They should get your book, The Pillars of Health, and, and dive into it for themselves. But I'd love to talk about a project that I heard about recently over this past summer um, where you're really trying to bring together a lot of your interests in personal healing, uh, community healing, planetary healing, and your interests in animal rights and women's rights. Can you talk a little bit about that initiative? Sure. Well, I just got my 501c3, and my new site is livingwithharmony.org. And basically, that just explains the type of work that I'm trying to do right now with creating a sanctuary and a retreat center. So the sanctuary would be a, a sanctuary for animals, for lab, laboratory animals and farm animals. But it would also be a retreat center where people would fly in, you know, throughout from 
anywhere in the world, actually, for three- to five-day events where they would come and they'd learn about plant-based eating. They'd learn about veganism. They'd have different courses and classes they can take. There'd be some boot camps there and so forth. But at the same time, they'd learn about organic gardening and box gardening and gray water and recycling, just kind of a whole holistic way of living um, there. And then, of course, the work that I've done with women for 30 years, working with abused women, then we'd also have the, uh, the ability to help some of these women who don't have a place to stay, and we'd have cabins and facilities there to house them in transition. And it's very healing, especially for people who have been abused, to be around animals because, again, the animals don't want anything from you. They just give unconditional love, and they don't want anything from you, whereas in the past, most of these women who have been abused have always been taken advantage of. So it's uh, basically it's an all-encompassing type of retreat and sanctuary. Mm. So yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, of videos that are you know people post on Facebook about abused farm animals or laboratory animals taking their first step towards a better life. So you know whether it's the cow gingerly stepping out on the pasture or the the chicken blinking in the light. Um, there's there's something that that happens spontaneously and immediately to animals when they're put back in their natural habitats and, 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 uh, and allowed to lead their natural lives. That doesn't seem to happen so quickly for, for traumatized humans. Do, do you see a, a way that the animals can sort of lead? Oh, sure. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the animals, for just having a companion animal alone is such a healing thing. And just rescuing it from a uh, a shelter is, is a good feeling, but every time you're near that animal, it brings down your blood pressure. Every time you're petting the animal and talking to it, your blood pressure is going down. It's very healing for people. And then also you have a responsibility now to care for that animal. Uh, the, the connection between humans and animals is, is phenomenal, and that's one of the reasons why I want to bring a lot of the people to the sanctuary who, who, again, might be just plant-based eaters or people that want to get healthy and fit, but don't really have that connection yet to animals. They've never really thought about it. So it's, to me, it's one of the most important components is, is bringing animals and people together. Hmm. And so, where, uh, where you said you just got your, uh, your nonprofit status, where where uh, where is that going in the next few months? What's the what's well? The status I have the staff. I have a great staff. I've got vegan vets and vegan vet techs and vegan builders and vegan chefs and other practitioners already on board. And so, I'm just looking for the property right now. I need to have at least 25 acres with water. And preferably have, you know, it'd be nice if we had a retreat already built there so there was cabins and a house and a barn. But basically I've been looking in Colorado and I've been looking like in Utah, been looking in Oregon. Uh, but if somebody donated some property somewhere else, you know, we might relo- relocate there too. So right, it's just kind of a slow process uh, to kind of get all the funding and everything. But I'm starting to get donations now, which I'm very grateful for. And then part of the donations that I get aren't necessarily just going to the sanctuary. They're going to help support some of the work that I do because the lectures that I've done for abused women for 30 years, I've never charged a penny. So some of that money will allow me to buy some DVDs on safety for women and different tools and things that I can give to participants who come to my classes. Mm-hmm. So the money kind of for the, isn't just for the sanctuary. It's just to support all the work that I've done. Right. I'm curious, um, when you speak to um, abused women, what do you, what do you tell them and – you know, especially coming as a man, someone who's who's not experienced their life, or you know, when they look at you, they they may wonder, they may they may project all sorts of things onto you. What what are you what are you uh, hoping to um, to communicate 
Well, one of the things that I, I, I like to do is I like to let them know that I'm here as a man and I'm not getting paid, so I'm not getting anything here. And I want to give them a reference that not all men are bad. There are good men out there who care about women, that care about humanity, that are good people. And when I used to go into all the shelters and work at a young age, that's one of the reasons I did it. I wanted those women to see that a man was in there working for free, and I'd never even look. I'd never even look at the women that were in the shelter. I'd just do my work, bring in clothing, bring in food, and leave. But I always wanted, number one, for them to have that reference. And two, what I mainly teach is my next one of my next books that's, that's coming out is on safety and empowerment for women, and it's probably 95% done already, so that'll be coming out hopefully next year. But basically, one of the things that I talk about is how men get to be violent predators. You know, last year I was invited to uh, the Capitol in Washington, D.C. to talk to about 150 or 60 congressional people, and I was talking about the link between children um, watching pornography, violent videos, violent video games, and then eating a nutrient-deficient diet. These are children are still believing in Santa Claus, and they're, they're basically predators now. They're just still little children that have been brainwashed. So as they age, and they're 14 and 15, 16 by the time, you know, many of them are full-grown predators at 15. They're assaulting kids and assaulting women. So one of the things I try to let women understand is how this violence against them has occurred. You know, what was the steps that took? Then I also explained to them how they were raised from a young age, that I was given a G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip, and they were given a Barbie. I was given a slingshot, and they were given an easy-bake oven. So our roles from a young age are determined by what we're surrounding ourselves with and what our parents teach us and what society teaches us. So if you would see, for instance, Ellen went on the Jay Leno show, Ellen DeGeneres, and I had trained her a couple months prior to that to do knuckle push-ups. And she said on the show, she goes, my guy doesn't believe in girl push-ups. And in any of my classes, if somebody says it's okay if I do a girl push-ups, I say, absolutely, but you do them on your knuckles. There are no girl push-ups on your knees. See, that already puts a woman at a subservient position that they're less than a man, that they have a special way that they have to do their push-ups. So it's basically talking about different empowerment, things like that. And then I also go into, you know, diet. I go in, let the women understand that, imagine all the violence that's been perpetrated against you and how horrific it has been. How do you think it is for an animal, a female cow, to produce milk? She isn't naturally just producing milk. She has to be sexually assaulted to produce that milk. And then all of a sudden now these women who have been assaulted have a whole different reference now for what happens to animals when animals are tortured and tested on. It's the same thing that has happened to many of those women. Hmm. Yeah, when, when I was listening to you talk about this, this uh, young predators in our midst, it's, it suddenly brought back these images of like – you know, training of, of child armies in, like, you know, Central Africa. Mm-hmm. It's like well, that's, I mean, the, most of this training on these video games is what the military has been using for decades. I mean, that's how they train their soldiers. They're all basically based on shooting and violence. And so if you have a child playing a video game, and there's one video game that was out that made about $500 million the first day it came out, and it's based on, you know, they actually actually have... As as you, as the character, are driving your car, you honk your horn and you call a prostitute to the car. You have simulated sex. And then when they're done, they pay the prostitute. And as the prostitute's walking away, the guy will get out of his car and shoot the prostitute three times in the back and collect his money. So now you have children that are 12 years of age, as I said, who still believe in Santa Claus, that are playing these games over and over, hour after hour every day. They're, They're scoring points for shooting police officers. They're running over cats and dogs in the street. 
So when you start doing that over and over and training your brain to do that, it's the same thing as somebody playing the cello or the piano. Hours and hours of practice make you really good at it. And it starts changing your brain chemistry and the way you think. And maybe most importantly, it changes the way you view people or animals. So now if a child is watching pornography, they're always seeing women in one particular way. If they're playing a video game where you're shooting police officers, now you're learning to not respect the law. You're learning to basically annihilate the law. And then you listen to music that's based on violence against women and society. You basically are training a child from a young age to be a full-blown predator by the time they're definitely a teenager. Uh, I was just reading about, her name is escaping me, but a a woman gamer who uh, was writing about uh, sexism and violence in video games and the, mm-hmm. um, the huge backlash from the gamer community against her. Right. Well, sure, it's a you know, billion-dollar industry, so of course there's going to be backlash. But you, know, you have to understand that I-, I learned about this from clients. When I had kids that would come in my office and they had attention deficit in one boy who was extremely violent and attention deficit, nobody could help him. It had been to like nine psychiatrists. I wrote about it in my book, Six Psychologists. Every medication under the sun, nothing worked. Then they gave him experimental meds, nothing worked. As soon as I put him on a pure plant-based diet and we got rid of his video games and got rid of his, his, his aggressive music, he was back to normal. It was a miracle. His mom said they'd never seen anything like it. Nobody could believe it. But we, we basically have to change his chemistry inside, get the nutrients going. Because once you're deficient in B vitamins, and B vitamins form neurotransmitters, right? So if you're deficient in these, your neurotransmitters aren't formed right. Your brain chemistry isn't right. Your diet's high in sugar, and the more sugar you eat, the more B vitamins you destroy. So now all of a sudden you've got, a, you basically have the wiring doesn't work inside the child, and then you're pr- programming it to be more violent, and everything, every time he's on, his, on the internet, he's answering text, he's always impulse-driven. Everything's got to be done in an instant. So we completely changed that around, gave him a pure plant-based diet, and then got rid of all these things that were excited, basically excitotoxins in his environment and in his diet, and boom, he popped back to normal. Wow. It's, it's almost like... The, yeah, there's, there's this, all this mediating chemistry, but if we are consuming the world that we have subjugated and we are treating cruelly, that you know, it's, it's no wonder that those substances inside our body are going to perpetuate themselves, whether it's you know, the processed food, whether it's um, you know, sugar from, from third world countries who've been subjugated, whether it's uh, animals who've been subjugated. When we eat that, when, you know, when we're, we're, we're literally eating cruelty and it's self-replicating inside us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, if you watch a movie called Earthlings, and it's free, it's just earthlings.com, and you, you look at all the cruelty that's done to animals in that movie, and you just for a second just think what that animal is feeling. In other words, how much adrenaline, how much cortisol, how many, how many different chemicals are being pumped to that animal's muscle in the brain? And what are they thinking now as they're being tortured and being ready to be killed? And then you're going to go eat that animal's meat. You're going to go, you know, bite into its leg or its, its, its back and eat that. What do you think you're eating? I mean, aside from the amount of, of chemicals and hormones in there that now this animal produced, imagine the karmic effect that you're eating. Imagine imagine what you're responsible for every time that you pay to eat that. And then that's one of the reasons that people who are meat eaters have a tendency to be much more aggressive and violent than people who are plant-based eaters. Even the people in our movement who are plant-based eaters that are athletes or 
mixed martial artist or martial artist, in the ring they can be aggressive, but as soon as that sport is over, they're as nice as can be. And they're just down to normal and they're very relaxed. Because they're not flooding their system with all those chemicals all the time. And that's one of the biggest challenges I, I, I deal with when I work with kids is that aside from their diets being nutrient deficient, their diets are so full of hormones and it just it just wrecks havoc on their brain chemistry. Hmm. So if uh, if someone's listening to this and they're they're really connecting with what you're saying and they want more of you, uh, what are, what are some ways that they can that they can get it? Well, sure. Well, my website is just my name, johnpierre.com. And then I have a, some DVDs with Chef AG, so that's eatunprocessed.com. That's a six-and-a-half-hour DVD that I did with Chef AJ, and it's a 30-day program. So I give you one new exercise every day, and Chef AJ gives you one recipe, and then we talk about a particular topic every day. So you have us for 30 days, and that's a good way to really get on the program that I teach because basically it's really, you know, it's we're coming in your home. So you have, I think one of the most important things that, that I teach is having community support and having the support from family and friends and the network of people, just like people go to AA or Overeaters Anonymous. One of the main reasons those programs work so well is the support system. And then, of course, my livingwithharmony.org explains more about what I do um, in terms of with animals and the environment and women's issues and things like that. And then usually I'm at most of the vegan or vegetarian conferences throughout the year. I've been to Vegetarian Summerfest for 20 years. I think it was this year. It was my 20th year teaching there. And then I teach at various um, ones throughout the, throughout the United States. And if you just follow me on Facebook, I usually post if I'm going to be somewhere. Gotcha. If someone wanted to work with you privately, do you do that remotely yeah. or do they uh, come? Well, I do both. You? I mean, uh, sometimes, uh, I'm, well, a lot of times a celebrity will want me to move in with them for a couple months. And then I live with them, and I'm just with them 24-7. Some people just want to do phone consults that I can do, and then I do things just via email. So, sure, I'm glad to help any way I can. I think a good start is, uh, you know, if you go on my website, johnpeer.com, and you click on my book, you can order my book that way. And then if you go, you get the eatunprocess.com, you go there and click on uh, to order our DVD. That's a good way to do it because if you start working with me one-on-one right now, I'm going to be teaching you all the same things that are in my book and the DVDs for a fraction of the cost. So I'd rather save people the money and let them get on that path first. And then if they wanted some more fine-tuning, then then they could see me one-on-one. But I also can uh, do private seminars at people's homes. So if people want to hire me for that, they can just uh, email me. And then I basically just come into your home and then I talk about any topic that you choose and usually most people invite like 15 or 20 of their friends and family. Awesome. awesome. So we can, we can see sort of a direct line um, between, you know, paying you and it getting multiplied into all this work you do out in the world. Um, yeah, all my money basically goes to the sanctuary. So, I mean, I just use enough money to survive, and I live pretty frugally. But any money that I make, I just put back into the sanctuary project. So. Um, I don't require a lot of money, and that's part of what I teach is that, you know, we could be a lot happier with a lot less possessions and a lot a lot less money because I think when you have money stockpiling in the bank and it's just sitting there and there's other people who need it, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's just I, I don't understand it. I think it's a form for a lot of people of, of lack of confidence and lack, lack of, you know, it's a fear that they're going to, they, they're not going to have enough. But I think nature provides us with more than enough. So. Mm. Yeah, and I, you know, I see, like, it's hard for me to imagine this country based, so based on, on fear and, 
you know, la- lack of lack of faith in in nature, not being obese. You know, like, oh right. It's, it's almost sure. it's almost like that's a uh, that that's a, a physical metaphor. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing is, you know, all the work in geriatrics that I've done, probably the greatest lesson that I've learned working with the seniors was really, you know, most of these seniors were so happy living a simple life their whole life. You know, they were just happy with dinner time with their family, talking about their day, you know, playing board games, going for walks. And they were very, very happy people. And they never really had a lot because most of the seniors that I had worked with had been through the depression. And they were just happy people. And, you know, I write in my book, the last, the last chapter is the most important on love and compassion. And I talk about, you know, when all the kings and all the celebrities and all those people pass away, they don't get to take any of their riches with them. I mean, the only thing that they they can take with them is, is basically their spirit. That's it. You don't get to take anything else. And it's like most of the people that I work with, when I when I share with them how to live simpler and an easier life, there's less stress. Because the more that you have, especially when I work with celebrities, the more they accumulate, the more people they need to hire to manage to manage all the accumulated stuff. And then the more security people they need to hire to guard all their jewels and golds. And it's like they become very stressed out and they don't live a simple lifestyle. Whereas if you look at people that are live like a monk lifestyle, they're very happy. They live simply and they, they find riches and, and joy in simple things. So I, I don't, I haven't watched TV for I don't know how long. So I don't, I don't partake in TV. I don't partake in the news media. I wear simple clothing. I try to support organic vendors, uh, that, you know, make organic clothing. And I just try to live as simply as I can. And when I earn money, I just try to turn that around to do good. So. I'm not saying that lifestyle is for everybody. That's just what I choose to do, though. Right. Well, I'm going to close by asking you one more thing, which is when you when you um, received the um, the award from the Vegetarian Society uh, to be inducted into their Hall of Fame, they put together a, a slideshow about your life. Mm-hmm. That so part of me was watching it, saying, "Wow, this is really inspirational," and part of me was watching it totally judging myself <laughs> like, like mm. what have, what have i done with my life you know i just like like sort of slinking home like you know uh like charlie brown with the peanuts music playing and i was i was sort of watching those two reactions kind of you know very curious and then to after the the slideshow you got up to speak and you spoke directly to me saying you know this is about everyone can do small acts of, of activism, small bits of change in the world. Um, right. So can you talk a little bit about, and, and you have a section on your, on your website, johnpierre.com, called Five Minute Activism. Can you talk a little bit about how the rest of us, how ordinary people can, can partake of activism without having to you know, make it our entire lives? Well, that's a great question. That's probably one of my favorite questions because that's, one of the things that I, I tried to do 24-7. So just to give you a quick example, the other night I was going to a, a vegan potluck and somebody was driving me. So when I was in the car, um, I'm working with the, the House Rabbit Society of right now of Denver, Colorado, and I'm helping them build toys. Uh, and then basically they sell those toys to people for their rabbits and then they use that money to support their like 110 bunnies they have. So as somebody was driving to the potluck, I was in the passenger seat and I was building bunny toys. So I was using that time as my little five-minute activism to get things done. And, you know, Mother Teresa said the smallest deed done is far better than the largest intention. 
So any little thing that we can do to make the world a better place is, is critical. I mean, it's absolutely critical. So I fill out as many petitions as I can. I go to as many demonstrations as I can. I make as many calls as I can. That's something very simple. If you find a company that you like that has done something extraordinary, um, I always write them and I thank them so much for getting, you know, vegan frozen meals in your store or getting organic produce in your store. And then if I find a company that I think could be improving, I write them and I say, I noticed that in your cereal, one of the last ingredients is whey. And I am, I follow a vegan or plant-based diet and now I can't eat your cereal. Do you think it's absolutely necessary that your last ingredient is a milk product? Could you remove that? And if you look on my website, I talk about that story, how companies have gotten back to me and they've taken those ingredients out. So I think it's just little tiny things that we do. Um, but again, it's getting away from the me, me, me and thinking about the we. In other words, when I was a child, before I would go to bed, I would kind of list bullet points and I'd say, what good did I do today in the world? And I'd list all these little bullet points. And then I'd ask myself the most important question. I would say, what good can I do tomorrow? So I was validating all the good that I did as a kid, and then I was getting ready, you know, setting myself up for tomorrow to do even more good. So it's just sneaking little things like that in throughout the day. I think, honestly, that's the biggest secret to it all is sneaking the stuff in and not worrying about having to go to a four-hour demonstration or writing a book or producing a video. It's just little things because they all add up. Right. And, and I have to say, listening to that, um, to your description of all the selfless things that you you do and that we could be doing, it's it sounds pretty selfish to me. Like it sounds like you're having a great time. Yeah, well, I do because like yesterday I went to a college and you know I um, I brought in some so delicious um, non dairy drinks for all the the college students there, and to me it was so fun seeing everybody getting so excited that I brought all this in. But but I was also thinking at the same time, this is an introduction for these kids to try a non-dairy beverage. And even if just one or two kids get on it and get on a non-dairy path, it's going to be great. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting for me. I mean, I love seeing people make changes, and especially when I have people that call me or write me and they say, you know, after I did, uh, I went to one of your seminars, and, you know, I've had people say this, you know, contact me or see me in person a year or two later, and they said, I've been vegan since... And I joined this animal rights group or I, I'm writing articles now for the local library, whatever that that's so rewarding to me because I also like to get validated to know that what I'm doing is making a difference. If I just continue to pump out all this work all the time and I don't see any changes, it's not as inspiring. I'd still do it because it's the right thing to do. But it's motivating to me when people say, hey, I read your book and I changed my child's diet. That, that to me is just that makes me want to write more books. Right. right. Well, John Pierre, thank you so much for being on the podcast, for taking the time to, to share your story, to share your advice, and to share your inspiration. Yes, and thank you for this wonderful podcast and making it uh, available for everybody out there. All right. Well, be well. Go from strength to strength. And everyone check out uh, johnpierre.com, eatunprocessed.com, The Pillars of Health, the book, and livingwithharmony.org. So thanks a lot and be well.